He's big and strong, he's sad and mad, and a little bit funny. You are listening to the Crash Program. Welcome to Season 2 of the Crash Program. I'm your host, Crash Barry. Season 2, a.k.a. Tough Island, is where I tell stories about living on Maine's most remote inhabited island. The Crash Program is commercial-free thanks to listener support via Patreon, where five bucks a month gets you all sorts of perks, including a limited-edition Mary Margaret sticker and access to a Patreon-only audio collection of stories from my time in the U.S. Coast Guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. Plus, after six months, you'll receive a signed copy of my novel, Sex, Drugs, and Blueberries, or the print version of Tough Island. Ten bucks monthly gets you the stuff I just mentioned, plus an invite to a really fun annual meetup in Maine. Visit CrashBerry.com for all the details. Now, on to the program. Chapter 2 Donald Grinned his mood seemed to improve after lunch. I like my Sturman to have transportation, he said. So I've got a surprise for you. He led me out to a shed in the backyard and slid the door open to reveal a motorcycle. motorcycle. As long as you're on the island working for me, the Honda-matic is yours. One of the perks of the job. I had zero interest in motorcycles. My only experience on a bike resulted in a parking lot crash Uh back when I was a Coastie. Pedal power was more my style. Thanks a lot, Donald, but you know, I really don't have good luck with motorcycles. Oh, come on, boy. Easiest bike in the world to ride. Captain Donald started the motorcycle. It's a Honda Manic. No clutch. Two speeds. Bought it new in 1978 in... Well, it's just that I'm not the greatest on a motorcycle. I said. Oh, Jesus, boy. My granddaughter's 12 years old, and she loves this bike. He patted the motorcycle's saddle. Take her out. Look around. Get a feel for the place. So I did as told. After driving back and forth in front of Donald's house ten times, I was ready to go. I rode down to the harbor and took the road out to Markey's Beach. The tide was halfway to high and the surf broke gently on exposed ledges. I had the entire place to myself, except for a few gulls frolicking on the wet sand. After a couple of smokes, I rode the motorcycle back to the harbor and parked by the post office, which shared a building with the Lone Island store. Both were closed. I peered through the windows, and in the store, it seemed the stock consisted mostly of beer, soda, and bags of snack food. The rest of the shelves looked barren. Next, I wandered over to the end of the steamboat wharf to get a good look at the harbor. It was a rugged little village of brightly painted fish houses and wharves, 
mixed with a couple of derelict buildings, crumbling, dark, and forgotten. And if I had taken a photo, it would be a charming postcard of Maine. There was an old-time telephone booth in front of the post office, so I decided to give my parents, back in western Massachusetts, a jingle, because they had no idea where I was. I dialed the number. And their answering machine picked up. Hi, Mom and Dad, it's Crash calling, I said, pausing, trying to think of an accurate way to describe my new situation. I've got a job on this island in Maine called Matinicus. You can find it on the map. It's about 20 miles off of Rockland, I said. I, I made 50 bucks today lobstering, plus all the lobster I could eat. Both of my parents loved lobster. And they'd appreciate that detail. And I, I just cruised the island on my new motorcycle. It's all pretty exciting. I'll call you again soon, as soon as I get settled and, and get a phone hooked up. Love you. Bye-bye. I got back on the Honda-matic. I zipped up to the middle of the island and took a left at the crossroads, and I drove past the modern one-room schoolhouse and the cemetery of old stones and collapsed graves. Then I turned onto a grassy trail framed by spruce trees that seemed to follow the shoreline to the south. In the distance, glimpses of the shimmering sea beckoned me, and a long path of sunshine created a sparkling trail on the water, six miles long, all the way out to Matinicus Rock's infamous lighthouse. Admiring the amazing view, I crept along on my motorcycle. I breathed deeply the open ocean air and reveled in my good fortune. Perhaps I was driving too slow, or maybe I shouldn't have taken the Honda-matic off the road and onto a trail. Suddenly, the bike slid and toppled over. What the? I was stunned, but uninjured, because the bike was surprisingly light. I squirmed out and vowed to never ride a motorcycle again after I returned this one to Captain Donald. You're being stupid. Captain Donald shook his head when I told him what happened. If you'd stayed on the road, you would have been all right. It ain't a trail bike, you know. <sighs> I don't think I'll be borrowing the motorcycle. I, I still think I prefer to walk. <sighs> Shoot yourself. Captain Donald rolled the Honda-matic back into the shed and shut it off. You're lost. And closed the door. We took Captain Donald's truck down to the shore so I could move into my new pad. We parked by the post office, and I followed Donald on the footpath that wound around the edge of the harbor through the village of fish houses. 
I thought we were headed to the apartment that overlooked Donald's Wharf, the one I had painted the autumn before with my Coast Guard buddy. A nice one-bedroom with a sawdust toilet and full kitchen, uh, except there's no running water. Instead, Captain Donald brought me to another building, ramshackle and rickety. Here we are. Your room's upstairs. <laughs> the first floor was garage-like, filled with ancient coils of used pot warp and tow lines and fishing net, broken buoys, and other miscellaneous junk. And we climbed a shaky exterior staircase to Captain Donald's shop on the second floor. He opened the door. The room was about 20 foot square and the floors and walls were splattered with orange and white paint, and freshly painted buoys of the same color hung from the ceiling. Watch your noggin. Don't hit your head on any of them buoys. You're a couple steps away from your new home. We passed the tiny wood stove and came to another doorway. Your new home. Hope you like it. It was tough to tell if his smile was genuine or evil. The back room was 10 feet wide and twice as long. That's a whole 200 square feet for free. Not cozy or comfortable or rustic or charming. The walls were fake wood paneling. I think it's fine for a stern man. The floor was particle board. Especially nice since you're not paying any rent. A bare bulb hung from the center of the ceiling. I'm even paying the electric bill since it's part of the shop electricity. <laughs> In the daylight, it was easy to see the layer of dust on the single wooden chair and the small table and the nightstand and the unmade cot that filled most of the space. I bet you Mary Margaret has some bed sheets you can borrow, maybe even a blanket. Make that cot cozy as all hell. A kitchen, I guess you can call it a kitchen, consisted of a dorm fridge, a two-burner gas stove, and a dishpan. Well, I'd admit that the kitchen is quite primitive, but, but how much cooking can a stern man actually do? <laughs> Luckily, the east wall had a couple windows that overlooked the harbor. Plus, you get this great view, free of charge. <laughs> it wasn't much of a room, but much better than a berth on a ship. Probably nicer than your bunk on that Coast Guard cutter. <laughs> and the room was nicer than a prison cell. Better than a homeless shelter, too. <laughs> he was right, I'm sure. But the room was missing another important feature. A door. This is the door, Captain Donald said, tugging on a blue tarp attached to the wall on the shop side. Just hook the grommets on the nails and you'll be all set. Though I wouldn't do that if you got the wood stove going. <laughs> I also noticed that there didn't seem to be a bathroom. <laughs> Captain Donald laughed. He pointed at what looked like a green plastic ottoman. Pull the cover off that and you'll see it's a toilet. But only use it in emergencies because it's a son of a bitch to clean. That's my bathroom? I said. Don't worry, you've got an outhouse too. Follow me. We walked back through the shop, down the rickety stairs, and around the building, back to his main wharf, 
<laughs> At the end of the dock was an ancient shed with a flourish. Captain Donald opened the double doors. Ta-da! See you in there? Just like the olden days. <laughs> the shed was packed full of old nets and 55-gallon drums of diesel fuel. In the corner was a toilet seat on a wooden box. What you've got there is a classic one-holer. <laughs> I lifted the seat cover and peered down, and I felt a whisper of wind rising from under the wharf. I saw piles of feces clinging to the wharf's cross braces. You share the toilet with my brother, Starman, Captain Donald said, pointing to another building on the wharf. That's where Jimmy lives. Well, I think he's in Rockland today. <coughs> Captain Donald coughed <coughs> and then spit into the harbor. Let's go get some supper. Captain Donald drank his red drink. I had water. The kitchen smelled deliciously of the chopped onions cooking atop the store-bought frozen pizza. I was starving, and the smell was driving me crazy. I didn't think I'd be living in the shop. I, I thought I'd be staying down in that apartment we painted last fall, I said. Whatever gave you that idea? That's a rental apartment for tourists coming to visit. Mary Margaret pointed at me. Way too nice for just a stern man. <laughs> Wanting the Taj Mahal, are you? Donald said with a smirk. <laughs> Not going to get it around here. <laughs> <laughs> they both chortled until their laughs turned into groans. <laughs> After supper, I walked to my new home, carrying my sleeping bag, some borrowed sheets, you better not ruin them, and a roll of toilet paper. First one's on the house. <laughs> the rest are going to cost you a buck apiece. The night was star-filled. There's no moon, no clouds, no wind. As I neared the shore, I heard the occasional clang of a bell buoy and the constant hum of the island generator in the background. I didn't see another person, and it felt like I was the only human on the whole island, which, I gotta admit, was a good feeling. The first thing I did under the bare bulb of my new living quarters was to roll and smoke a joint. The place smelled of old rope, salt, bait. <coughs> Though the bait smell could have been me, I declined to shower up at Donald's, not wanting to reek of kerosene. So the bait smell could have come from my hair or my beard, where I kept finding bits and bones of herring. Ugh. My room. The bare bulb light showed me was filthy, and after closer inspection, enhanced by the reefer, I discovered signs of mice. 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 But the place was functional. Nothing that a good Coast Guard cleaning and some mousetraps couldn't fix. 
An unexpected bonus was the sound of the tide lapping at the wharf. As the tide rose, the ocean stretched and flowed beneath the building. The thought of sleeping above water calmed me, like being on a ship, but only safer and without all the other sailors. I plugged in my clock radio and set the time and set the alarm for 4.30 a.m. and then made the cot with the sheets borrowed from Mary Margaret. You better not ruin them. I sat on the edge of the bed and started friggin' with the clock radio to hear what was out there. I slowly scanned the FM dial. Broadcasting from the hen house atop Blue Hill Mountain, you are listening to WERU. Serving mid-coast, down-east, and central Maine. Ever since I was a little boy, I've been a serious radio listener. Late-night talk shows and radio dramas were my favorite. Thanks for joining us on this episode. But I loved rock and roll and the oldies as well. I was in radio paradise. And then I switched to the AM band and found even more stations, some as far away as Philadelphia and Quebec. Vous écoutez CFNV 940 AM, I was too tired to further explore the airways from my remote main island, so I tuned into WOR in New York City. WOR News. And as I drifted off to sleep, I marveled at my good luck. I felt content for the first time in a long while. The first white settler of Matinicus, Ebenezer Hall, was a notorious thief and a scoundrel, and in 1757 he was scalped by the local Indians who owned Matinicus. Ever since, a mist of violence has loomed like low-hanging fog, enshrouding the island in a bad reputation. Arson, stabbings, You stabbed me, you son of a bitch! Fisticuffs, sucker punches, cold cockings, ass kickings, home invasions and destruction, murderous threats and name-calling, guns aimed, shots fired, people wounded. All part of the island history and lore. No cops were ever stationed on Matinicus, where the only law officer was the constable, elected anew each year. An island resident without training, all in favor say aye. Uh, whose only role was to occasionally deal with the mainland cops who came out to make a drug bust or issue a summons. There was no cop, that is, until Gerald Day offered his services. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd like to volunteer my services as a uh, deputy. To the Knox County Sheriff's Department. Gerald Day moved to the island the year before I did. His only link to Matinicus was his brother, a lobsterman who had married an island girl. Gerald Day had zero experience in law enforcement. Oh, uh, yeah, I have zero law enforcement experience. 
And he was a fundamentalist, teetotaling Christian. I'm a born-again Pentecostal Christian. Who believed the schoolteacher was in league with the devil. Uh, I believe the schoolteacher is in league with and working with the devil. Satan. And his resume stretched through several states and industries. Uh, Missouri, Connecticut, New Jersey, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. I was a bank teller. I worked at a dairy farm, sold vacuum cleaners. I was a short order cook, worked at a cafeteria. Reeking of a loser who couldn't keep a job. Probably a couple years at each job. But none of that mattered to the macho sheriff in Rockland. You're hired. Who is desperate to tame Matinicus. We need to prove to the rest of Midcoast, Maine, that our law is stronger than the island's anarchy. The beginning of March, 1991, the sheriff gave Gerald Day a badge, a gun, and a blessing. And Gerald Day was transformed from a dubba to a deputy. A week before I moved to the island, four drunk sturmen were angry that a cop was suddenly messing with their island paradise. Billy, Bobby, Buddy, and Alex. So they decided to screw with the deputy. Under the cover of darkness, they walked to the deputy's house and easily flipped his truck onto its side. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. On that fateful night, the stern men didn't know the deputy was waiting in the shadows. Order of the court. Once again, deputy, try to explain what happened. Yes, Your Honor. And the stern men didn't know that the deputy had installed a motion-sensitive spotlight on his house, the first on the island. So when the truck tipped over, the light got triggered. Yeah. Yeah. And the deputy saw them all. And uh, that's when I said, freeze. Freeze. Or I'll shoot. Or I'll shoot. The deputy drew his gun and fired a shot into the air. Let's get the hell out of here. The three bees, Billy, Bobby, Buddy, scattered and escaped. Um, Alex wasn't so lucky. The suspect was startled by the shot and appeared to freeze for a split second, which gave me enough time to, um, um, pistol whip him from behind. He brought his gun down hard on Alex's head. <clears throat> Knocked him out and split his skull open. Split his skull open. Then the deputy cuffed and dragged the unconscious man across the yard, opened the bulkhead, and uh, lugged him down the stairs. And I ended up handcuffing him to a pole in the center of my cellar. Meanwhile, the other fellas had regrouped in a harborside fish house and were wondering what had happened to Alex. Oh, uh, I wonder if he went home. Maybe. Probably. Let's have another smoke. Give me that <laughs> bottle of rum. Yeah. yeah. Nice. 
Knox County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, this is Deputy Gerald Day on Matinicus. Uh, we are having an incident here. I need backup. I repeat, I need backup. It was a good thing the three Bs didn't know that Alex was being held captive in Gerald Day's basement and that more sheriff deputies were en route the island aboard a 41-footer from the Rockland Coast Guard Station. If they'd known that, they probably would have started an all-out shooting war and attempted raid of the deputies' house to save their pal. Instead, they got drunk and high on their bottle of rum rum. and a good bag of weed, (laughs) thinking that Alex had gone home to bed. An hour and a half later, it was nearly low tide, and the three fellas saw the Coast Guard boat slowly creeping around the breakwater. I wonder why the Coasties are coming to Matinicus in the middle of the night. I hope no one's sick. Jeez, I'm crow! One of the fellas said. Those guys are going to hit the Indian ledge if they ain't careful. So the three stern men jumped into a skiff. and raced out to the Coast Guard vessel, leading them around the ledge and up to the steamboat wharf. Just at that moment, I arrived, Your Honor. Um, I had borrowed my brother's truck, and I had the suspect in the back of the truck, bloody and hogtied, riding in the back. As soon as the stern men realized they were under arrest, Freeze! Uh... I would say a pandemonium erupted. Yes, a pandemonium. Then the island foursome, at gunpoint, were ordered onto the Coast Guard boat where they were cuffed, read their rights, then brought ashore to spend the night in the Knox County Jail. Thank you for listening. And remember, the Crash Program is commercial-free thanks to listener support via Patreon, where five bucks a month gets all sorts of perks, including a Mary Margaret sticker. I'm sure you'd want that. And access to the Patreon-only audio collection from my time in the U.S. Coast Guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. And remember, be careful on Tough Island. He's big and strong, he's sad and mad, 